Well, good morning, Sailorville. It's great to be back, and thank you so very, very much, those of you who prayed for my wife and I while we were in Ireland with our missionaries, Frederick and Gemma Sandberg. We had a wonderful time, certainly, seeing the Emerald Isle, but really just hanging out with them, preaching, teaching, uh, shepherding them, and, uh, and being encouraged by them. You would be very encouraged by these dear saints of ours in Ireland. And on the way there, I had a great, a couple of great opportunities on the airplane. In fact, especially, I had a really crazy, unusual <laughs> opportunity on the way home. It's, I can't wait to tell you about it, but I'm not gonna do about, I'm not, I'm gonna hold off on it this morning. And you're probably thinking, that's really kind of cruel to throw that out there like that. But the reason I say it is because that, I, I had another opportunity, or experience, I should say, Another time that reminds me and is more fitting for this message today. I was in an airplane. Uh, it was full. My seat, I did not pick, was in the very back. I mean, the very back up against the window in the back. And uh, so plane was packed. I'm in there. It's a three-hour flight. And this very smartly dressed businesswoman comes in, comes right in, and sits down next to me where her seat was and I had prayed about this and so I greeted her when she came in and she wouldn't even acknowledge I was there and uh, so I said you know I mean are you coming are you, are you, are you is this your home are you going to home and she wouldn't even respond to me and just when I was thinking you're about as rude as they come woman she turned to me and she said uh, I'm sorry I'm I'm deaf were you talking to me So besides feeling really stupid in the moment, I had a serious communication issue with my new friend that I would be next to for three hours. And I'll tell you how that turned out after a little bit. Every one of us, every one of us entering this world do so with a serious communication issue with God. We are disconnected from him. He's not hearing you. In fact, Isaiah puts it like this. Behold, the Lord's arms are not so short that he cannot save. Neither is his ear too dull that he cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that, watch this, he will not hear. Have you ever read that? And the Apostle Paul gave us a little theology lesson about what's going on with some of you in the disconnect in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 when he says this. The natural man, that's the, the Greek word sukakos. We get our word soulish or soulless. The man without a spirit, without a soul. I mean, we have souls, but doesn't have the Holy Spirit. The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly. That's the word we get our English word moron <laughs> I just laugh every time I say that. From that word, folly. They're moronic to him, and he is not able to understand them because spiritual things are spiritually discerned or spiritually understood. So some of you misunderstand God because, plain and simple, you don't have the Spirit of God. And the Bible couldn't make it more clear than what it does in Romans 8 when we're told anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ doesn't belong to him. 
So who is the Holy Spirit? We actually had a full-on sermon about him just several weeks ago, and I will remind you that he is God, and he possesses all of the attributes of God. And he is a person. He's not an it. He is a person. We talk about the three persons of the Godhead. He possesses all of the attributes of personality. In fact, the Bible itself in the New Testament tells us that he loves us in Romans chapter 15, that he grieves over us when we, his, uh, the children of God, sin. Ephesians 4, he prays, he's an intercessor for us in uh, Romans chapter 8. He can be lied to and he can be bla blasphemed. You can't blaspheme forces or powers or its, but you can blaspheme a personality and so he is indeed a person. It's important to remind ourselves of this. And I would add, per this message this morning, he is very active in this world amongst those of you who don't know Jesus and especially amongst those of you who do. So it covers the whole gamut. Francis Chan wrote a book sort of describing him. He's, he wrote a book called The Forgotten God. And as I thought about it, I think the Holy Spirit would actually welcome that designation <laughs> because it's not his desire to draw attention to himself. At least that's my understanding as I read the New Testament. Uh, in fact, I was just thinking about this. Think about hymnody. We just, we just sang some songs. There are some new songs. The Gettys have a song out of uh, on the Holy Spirit. But tell me, can you name three songs that are specifically designated to the Holy Spirit that you sing? How about one? I'm guessing some of you probably have one. I've got a praise chorus in my mind. But I think that's the intention of God because he's not trying to draw attention to himself. And Jesus told us as much when he said in John 15 at the very end of the chapter, he said, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, here you are, he will bear witness about me. And then in the very next chapter, John chapter 16, Jesus instructing his disciples says, he will glorify me. The Holy Spirit doesn't point to himself. He points to Jesus. So if I, I think if I were to write the book, I'd call it The Misunderstood God because we, we, we knock ourselves out to understand God. We knock ourselves out to understand Jesus, but not so much the Holy Spirit. And there's so much confusion right to this present hour and in so many churches about who he is and what his characteristics, attributes ongoing are. Several years ago, I contemplated th this a study of the Holy Spirit, instead of just knocking off all of these present active ministries of him, this, the idea of making it more demonstrative came to my mind. So if you're my friend that I invited you up here to the platform, would you come right now? Let's give all of our friends a round of applause as they make their way up here. <clears throat> and you'll be patient with me as I find a spot for every one of these Handsome and beautiful people making their way up. All right, all right. Hunter, you're on the far end over here. Uh, right next to Hunter is going to be... <laughs> I'm going to put you, Karis, right here. Nope, you're going to have to move over here. How many do, do we have? Eight up here? Do we have more? I'm not very good at my arithmetic here. Okay, you're right where you belong. I'm go you're right where you belong. You are not where you belong. We're going to put you, we're going to switch you two right here. Okay, there we go. And 
Let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. All right, we're good to go. I think you're supposed to be right here. There you go, right there. That's where you're at. Way to go, Jacob. All right, okay. Now, this is very interactive. You're thinking, oh man, they're up here. Well, yeah, well, you're down there. And I need to hear from you. We need to hear from you throughout this entire sermon. And this is a visual to show you how active the Holy Spirit is. And let me tell you something right out of the chute. This is only half of them. The next time we do this in a couple of weeks, there's going to be 15 up here. All of these plus a bunch more. Okay? In order to illustrate how actively, the, how active that is the Holy Spirit is. So the first thing we're going to learn about the Holy Spirit, and Preston, you're going to help us out. You know, you're, you're a strong guy here. You know, you're going to take your hands, you're going to press them down, okay? And when he does that, we're going to say the Holy Spirit restrains. Okay, we're going to do it again. And I want to hear from everybody, even those in the nosebleeds here, okay? The Holy Spirit what? Restrains. What do I mean by that? Well, you think the world is evil, right? You have no idea. The Bible describes the Spirit of God as literally restraining evil, holding it back. So that when he is removed, all hell breaks loose. And that's what's going to happen. The Bible tells us that. Let me just give you a big context. It will be the biggest context I give you today. But here it is in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Follow with me, if you will, where it says, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way. For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness, that would be the Antichrist, is revealed, the son of destruction, another designation for the Antichrist, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God, the ultimate of blasphemies, Still forthcoming. Do you not remember that when I was with you, I told you these things? And you know what is, what's the word? Restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. That's the evil you're seeing now. Only he, notice not it, he who now restrains it will do so until he is taken out of the way. He is a personality who is what? Restrained. Say it louder. He what? This is what the Spirit of God is doing even as we speak. You remember the, uh, the flood, the 500-year flood of 1993? Then we had another 500-year flood in 2008 and whatever. But do you remember all the sandbagging going on? Some of you might have been a part of that. What, were the, what was the purpose of those sandbags? To hold back, to hold back the floodwaters. Just before Jesus went up into heaven, just before he actually went to the cross, he said to his disciples around that table on that night where the Last Supper took place, he said, it's to your advantage that I go away. What a statement. What a statement. Because he went on to say, because if I don't, the Holy Spirit can't come. When he comes, he's going to teach you all truth, etc. Listen, the Holy Spirit came at Jesus' departure. You know, Jesus ascended, he descended. 
Is it possible that some of his ministries will end at Jesus' return? I mean, he's still going to be God. He's still omniscient. He's still omnipresent. He's still omnipotent, but he's not going to be, what's our word? He restrains. Say it again. He what? He restrains. I think the restraints are going to come off is what's going to happen. And there is a flood coming. The question is, will you get caught up in it? Some of you will be. You're unprepared. The Holy Spirit, one more time, everyone. The Holy Spirit, what? Restrains. Restrains. Very good. And we're going to need to up the volume here a little bit. <laughs> okay, so uh, in chapter 16 of, of, of John, right after he says it's to your advantage that I leave, he describes the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And the ministry is he convicts. All right, so Isaac, this is your job, okay? Do you like, do you like to judge people? Yeah, I mean, come on, be honest, you do. All right, so, uh, so you're going to take your right foot, you're going to plant it right there, loud enough, okay? And then you're going to take your right finger and just like that, okay? He, what? He convicts. Because that's exactly what John 16, 8 says, is he's in the world, Jesus says, to convict it of sin and of righteousness and of coming judgment. Of sin because they don't believe in me, Jesus said. The word convicts is a really interesting word. It's a legal term, and it literally means to cross-examine with the purpose of convicting. The great Bible expositor Merrill Tenney described it as this. He said, the spirit is the prosecuting attorney who presents God's case against humanity. Now, some of you are thinking, well, yeah, some people really need the finger pointed at them because they're really big sinners. Well, we're all big sinners, Amen. I know some of you are saying, well, not really. I don't care if you're a little sinner or a big sinner. You're a sinner, and all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And every time I think of this, I think of one of my, our dear friends, many of you who've been around for a while, will remember Tom and Donna Kimberly. They've since gone off to a church plant, but they, we led them to Christ 20-some years ago. I mean, if you had met Donna Kimberly prior to salvation, half of you would have figured she was a Christian. And maybe more than half. She was super sweet, very loving, great wife, great mom, served in her church, but she was lost. We gave her the gospel. Tears were coursing down her eyes. She said, you mean my good works won't save me? And that night she trusted Jesus. I'll never forget her testimony. And I quote her word verbatim. She said, my greatest sin was not believing in Jesus. And that's where some of you may be right now. It doesn't matter how moral a person you are. The greatest sin you could ever commit, and it's the unforgivable sin, by the way. Want to know what the un- we're talking about the Holy Spirit. Want to know what the unforgivable sin is? Not believing in Jesus. That's the unforgivable sin. And it might be yours right now. So the Holy Spirit does what? He, oh, wait, 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 wait. Preston, you have to be ready all the time. Okay. <laughs> Like all the time. Okay, okay, yeah. No sleep. You think the Holy Spirit's falling asleep on the job here? All right, very good. All right, he's ready now, and you are too, right? The Holy Spirit. Very good. Hey, you guys are on it. You're good. Okay, all right. The third thing we're going to say is he regenerates, which means to be born again. means when the Bible speaks of being born again, it means to be 
you're, you're become a child of God. And so, Alicia, Lisa, this, yeah, there you're holding a baby here. Okay, there you go. So he's the one who makes us born again. Remember the story of Jesus and Nicodemus. Jesus, you know, Nicodemus says, you know, nobody can do these miracles that you do unless God's with them. And Jesus said, Nicodemus, unless you are, that's the word for regenerated. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And then he says, you must be, there it is, that, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. It's the spirit of God who is the agent of our regeneration. So we say he regenerates. Let's just try it again. The Holy Spirit does what? He regenerates. Okay, so listen carefully. Your faith isn't what saves you. I just want that to sink in for a moment. Jesus is who saves you. We don't have faith in our faith. We have faith in a person, in the Lord Jesus Christ. But it is the Spirit of God who causes us to believe in Jesus and regenerates our dead hearts. That's what he does. That's what some of you actually need right now. And when you, when he does this, he, what's he do? He regenerates. And by the way, John 1.12 says, as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become the children of God. The word children there is the beautiful word. It's a little Greek word. It's the word technon. It literally means little born one. That's literally what it means. And it, 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 it literally conveys a dependent child. Do you ever notice when you read the New Testament, it never calls us um, uh, adults of God? We're always children of God. We are always the dependent ones, right? So the Holy Spirit does what? He? Whoa, 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 whoa. They're ready. Come on, everybody. The Holy Spirit what? He regenerates. And now my friend Jacob. Jacob, are we a Presbyterian church here? No, no, that's good. Are we a Lutheran church? No, 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 we, we're not a Lutheran church either. Uh, what, we're, what, what tradition do we, are we? Baptist? We're of the Baptist tradition, okay? So we don't, when we baptize, we don't sprinkle them, you know, and we don't pour water on them. What do we do? We immerse, we immerse them. So you're going to just plug your nose. Yeah, you're just going to dip your head back in the water. Okay, there you go. There, so there it is. So when we get to Jacob, we're going to say he baptizes. Okay, let's just try it. The Holy Spirit... Baptizes. Now, this is where it gets a little funky with our friends in the charismatic movement. Our friends in the charismatic movement think the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a separate work of God. The Bible doesn't teach that, actually. And uh, so, in fact, just to prove it, this is what the Bible teaches in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. Here's what it says. For in one spirit we were what? All baptized into one body. We're talking to the Corinthians here. I mean, the most corrupt of all churches, he's acknowledging we've all been baptized in one body, Jews, Greeks, slave free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not some esoteric, experiential, heebie-jeebie, I got feelings up my spine thing. It is a fact by which God, and this is what baptism means. The word baptism means to place into. So what God does, God the Holy Spirit does, when we are regenerated, in that moment, at the same time, he places us 
into the body of Christ. He immerses us into the body of Christ. And that's the safest place to be, don't you think? And I mean, so, so it means to place into, and it's not, we're never commanded to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. We're never ever commanded to, we're commanded to trust Christ. And when we do, we're placed into the body of Christ. Beautiful thing, amen? That's what Paul meant when he said in Colossians 3, your life is hidden with Christ in God. Okay, that's a reference to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So what does he do, class? The Holy Spirit... Very, very good. All right, now, now to our dear subject at hand here. Our dear Rachel's going to have a baby. Praise the Lord. Amen. <laughs> That's why we've got a chair for her here. So, uh, and so we say the Holy Spirit indwells. Okay. Say it. The Holy Spirit what? He indwells. And so, and most of you know this verse, but let's put it up there anyway. What, don't you know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you? You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. So glorify God in your body and in your spirit. You're not your own. It goes on after that. But, but here's the point. The Holy Spirit doesn't just put us in Jesus, the baptism, but he puts himself in us. And this is the very doctrine that delivered me from a life of drugs right here. The fact that I, upon salvation, not only became a child of God, but the temple of God, which is a big deal to deliver some of you as well. And probably you need to take heed to that. So who, what, who is the Holy Spirit? What does he do with, with us? What is he doing in this world? He... All right, and so he indwells. So now, now, listen to this. This takes place in the world as we speak. This is occurring in the world as well. The Spirit of God is working in some of your hearts to trust Jesus, okay? This happens at salvation, at salvation, at salvation. All these things happen simultaneously. That is, he regenerates us. He baptizes us and he indwells us simultaneous to the moment we place our faith in Jesus to be our savior. Why do I point this out? I'm pointing this out because this is also simultaneous, but without this, everything here isn't guaranteed. Uh, we, we in our tradition believe that a person, the Bible is clear that when you place your faith in Jesus and it's real, you, have, you are secure for eternity. Hallelujah, amen? But the fact that he regenerates you doesn't promise you that. The fact that he baptizes you doesn't necessarily promise you that. And the very fact that he indwells you doesn't promise you that. I'll tell you what promises you that. The fact that he, are you ready for this, big guy? Let's go. That's what I want, right? He seals you. The Holy Spirit seals. In fact, he actually becomes the seal upon you. Here's what Paul said in Ephesians 1. Here's how he put it. He said, in him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. Look at that sequence there. You were, say it, sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And here's the, here's the kicker. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory? Hallelujah! The Holy Spirit be, is the seal. He becomes the seal and he is the virtual guarantee that what 
you, your faith in Jesus is good to go. It will take you into heaven. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. That's all referencing the seal ministry of Jesus. He seals. And aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? Okay, class. Loud and clear. The Holy Spirit. Oh, you're the best sealer so far, Dustin. I'm telling you right now. We had a guy just kind of doing this little number earlier. That's what I like right there. Good stuff. Now we're going to go to your daughter right next door. And so, isn't she pretty? And doesn't she look saintly? Would you agree she looks saintly? Okay, so Karis, here's what you're going to do. You're going to kind of create a rainbow over your head. Or not a rainbow. A halo over your head. A halo. Yeah, yeah, however, right over your head. Okay, that's a halo, okay? And the Holy Spirit sanctifies. Say it, everyone. The Holy Spirit sanctifies. He sanctifies us. Now, this is really interesting. First of all, let's, let's look at some scripture to affirm it. First Peter chapter 1, verse 2. Here's what it says. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, and there's our word, the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ for the sprinkling of his blood. He, the Holy Spirit, what he sanctifies. All right, now, the word sanctify literally means to set apart. That's what it means. At salvation and throughout life. See, that actually, this also takes place simultaneous to regeneration. But the difference here is the sanctification process is a little bit like this. And it goes on throughout the rest of your life. And so, by the way, I just saw this the other day. I've never seen it before. And I thought, this is a great illustration of what the Spirit of God does. In Acts chapter 13, the apostles are getting ready. They're trying to figure out which way they go. Do we go here? Do we do that? And here's what it tells us. Acts 13. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart. There's our word. Set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work which I have called them. So this is what the Spirit of God does. He does it internally. He does it externally. He sets you apart for the purposes of God, and then he works in your life so that you will actually be set apart for God in this life. This is what sends people to Ireland. It sends people to to. Timbuktu, it sends people to Des Moines. It sends people to Eden Church, hallelujah. It's the set apart thing. This is what the Spirit of God does. And, and, and he's the one who does it. This is the thought, when we think of sanctification, this is the thought behind 2 Corinthians 3.18, where Paul says, and we, that's the saved, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed by the Spirit, from one level of glory to the next, even by the Spirit of God. It's the holy, we have a model. More people what? The more like Jesus, that's the sanctification part, and that's the work of the Holy Spirit. If you have been in our membership class, you know that we talk about, I I have my own little definition for sanctification. My definition is adjusting yourself to God. That's what it is. If you've been to a matinee, right? If you've been to a matinee, you've walked out from that dark hole into the, 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 you know, the sunlight of the afternoon, you, you what? You start to squint, right? 
But as you walk to your car, your eyes begin to adjust. That's a perfect illustration. And John is in as much as said so when he says, as we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. This is what God does throughout our lives as we walk with him. We keep adjusting ourselves, our, our attitudes, our actions, the things we believe. We're constantly making adjustments. Here's an operational definition I've given. Sanctification is the spirit at work as we adjust ourselves to God. And this is what Paul means when he says, it is God who is at work in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. That's the idea. So the Holy Spirit does what? Everyone loud and clear. He convicts, regenerates, and dwells. Very good. And we've saved the best for last. Hunter, Hunter. Look at him. He's rocking his merch. He's going to leave us here, go to Eden Church. We love you, Hunter. Um, you like to eat? Yeah. <laughs> I do, too. Uh, but I, want, I wanted you to illustrate this last part. This is where I spend the most time as we end up. He fills. So when you're full, I mean, you just kind of want to just rub your tummy a little bit. That's good. He, let's say it. He what? He what? He fills. Okay. Thanks for being a good sport. Uh, so this is, what, this is where a lot of controversy comes in. You already know the scripture, but let's look at it again. Do not get drunk with wine, which is debauchery, but be being constantly filled, that's the Greek tense is simply present, with the Holy Spirit. So there's the command. It is a command. We are commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Unfortunately, Sometimes when you hear, you know, oh man, he was full of the Holy Spirit. What comes to our mind? What, you start thinking of all kinds of esoteric stuff and, you know, just crazy behavior and wild stuff happening and pixie dust and all this stuff and weirdo, weird. That, that is not what you should be thinking. Okay? Some people, you know, we do have scripture. When people are filled, we know in Acts 4, the whole room shook. Remember that? The Apostle Paul cast blindness on a false teacher. I'd like to do that. And then we have these several references of individuals speaking in other languages or tongues. Thomas Schreiner in his book, Spiritual Gifts, I really appreciate it. He started off this book acknowledging what the charismatic movement has brought to the table. Like their zeal, their love for mission, their love for one another, a lot of positive things for all the stuff, all the excesses that they often are accused of. And that's, I, I just appreciated how he began his book with that before he launched into straight on teaching on the, this biblical teaching on the Spirit of God. But it made me, it reminded me when I was a brand new Christian, I was in a church. And the woman in the church that everybody looked up to, her name was Janice. I won't tell you her last name. I just tell you that she was a super godly lady, theologically robust, strong in the faith. Most women just gravitated, and rightly so, to Janice. And she gravitated me because I was brand new Christian. I was like a bull in a china shop, you know, just trying to direct me in the right direction, you know. And she's a sweet lady. And so Janice got 
a very aggressive form of cancer. And it just shot through her body in spite of all efforts to constrain it, eradicate it. And so I went to her home to visit her and pray with Janice. And uh, I did not know where she had been, but uh, she, just the weekend before, she had visited a charismatic healing service. I didn't even know that, but she assumed I would. I knew, because I'd come into her house. She goes, oh, man, I was afraid. Of, I, 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 wasn't, I wasn't excited about meeting Pat Nimmers. I said, why? She goes, don't you know what I did last weekend? I said, no. She goes, I went to a healing service in a charismatic church. And I looked at her and I said, so Janice, why would you do that? I'll never forget what she said. And I quote, she said, because when they pray for healing, they really believe it'll happen. And I was a brand new Christian, super zealous. But that answer gave me pause. And I thought to myself, do I? Do I really believe? Now, my friend Janice would succumb to the cancer. She died a few weeks later. But I'll never forget the lesson that taught me. So here's what I would say to us here. It should be enough to know that we are commanded to be continuously filled with the Holy Spirit. If we obey that command, now listen to this, if we obey that command, we can leave the results, whatever they are, to God. Amen? I'll say it again. If we obey the command to be filled with the Holy Spirit, continuously so, then we can leave the results to God, whatever they are. And the good news is some of those results are guaranteed. I mean, we can know for certain what's gonna happen if you're filled with the Holy Spirit. We're told in Ephesians chapter five, verses 18 and following, that you will express certain characteristics that will evidence that you are full. So the command to be filled with the Holy Spirit is followed by, let's just call them outcomes, all right? And here they are, speaking to one another. The idea is there'll be a boldness in your desire to speak to one another. Encourage, exhort exhort individuals. You, you, You will be singing and making music. Do you always feel like singing? Go like this. No, but if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you'll be able to sing even when it hurts. And thinking, uh, speaking of that, the next one is giving thanks. You'll be one who is constantly thanking. If you're a curmudgeon, if, that is, if you're a constant complainer, you are not filled with the life of God, period. But if you are filled with the Spirit of God, you'll be able to sing and give thanks to him no matter how hard it gets. And sometimes it just gets hard. And lastly, it says, we'll be submitting to one another. And so when you're filled with the Spirit of God, you will be truly free, truly free to speak boldly, sing joyfully, show great gratitude, and live in joyful submission to God. So this is just the half of it. But are you ready? Are you ready? The Holy Spirit does what? He restrains, convicts, regenerates, 
Amen. Let's give our helpers a round of applause. You guys can bow down. As they make their way to their seats, I want to add one more thing, if I may. One more thing you can do if you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Are you ready? You can die. You can just die. You remember Stephen? The church had just begun. God got a hold of this guy who was filled with power in the life of God. Even Paul, when he was Saul, was under conviction just listening to Stephen. When the, when the authorities pulled him in, they, they, they put him on trial, and he laid out an entire history of Israel and showed how resistant they had been. And he said, you stiff-necked and you uncircumcised in heart, you, res, you always resist the Holy Spirit. And they went, they're their teeth. And they started to, they took him out. They started to stone him to death. And that's when we read this. He, but he full of the Holy Spirit gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord, Jesus, receive my spirit. And when he had said this, what? He died. I think it was Jim Allard who said that you should live a life in such a way that when it comes to dying, that's all you have to do. Just die. One of our heroes of the last generation who went to be with the Lord just a couple of months ago is Tim Keller. And just before he died, laying in his deathbed, he said to his family, there is no downside to me leaving, not in the slightest. Is there a downside to you leaving? Are you ready to die? Because if you're full of the life of God, you're ready to die when he comes calling, and he will come calling. So there I was, humiliated, having utterly misjudged my friend sitting next to me in the seat right here, my deaf friend. However, not only was she not offended, she reached into a bag, pulled out a device, showed me how to use it so that it cleared up the communication. We talked for three hours. I laid out the gospel. It was a beautiful thing. Let me tell you something. The Holy Spirit is not a device. He's a person. And if you will accept his prodding, some of you repent and believe the gospel. Some of you submit yourself to God and experience beyond his regeneration, his indwelling, his sealing, experience real sanctification, that changes everything. It changes everything. And some of us here just need to be changed. Let's pray. 
Our God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for his restraining power. We realize, Lord, things are going to get way worse, especially when he steps aside, so to speak. Help us to be ready when the flood comes in. Thank you for his convicting work, causing us to see our guilt. And then his regenerating work, causing us to be born again when we placed our faith in Jesus and our desperation. And some here, Lord, just need to be saved. And that's you, dear friend. Acknowledge it. You're convicted. You need him. Lord, we thank you that the Holy Spirit then, and then he, he baptizes, he places us into the body of Christ. He indwells us, how precious, and seals us for all eternity. We're grateful for all these things and more. And God, we're thankful for the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, helping us to adjust ourselves to you. And that ongoing sanctification as referred to here, Lord, whereby he brings us closer to you as we are filled with the life of you. Lord, I pray that you would cause repentance to fill this place and joy in the hurt. Give us a song in our nights by way of your Holy Spirit as you endeavor to make us more like your son Jesus as he endeavors to make us more like your son Jesus and it's in his name we pray amen let's stand